Morning. I see a green blinking again something okay I won't tell the joke again don't worry but uh, in all seriousness yes happy Mother's Day uh, to our church family mothers statistically in church history are known um, to be uh, the best missionaries that have taken place uh, who have served over the past 2,000 years uh, more people have been led to Christ by mothers than by anyone else more than Pastors, elders, overseas missionaries, God uses mothers to make disciples, to lead children to the Lord. And so they have an incredibly important role uh, as disciple makers, uh, even older women teaching the younger women, as Paul lines out in his letter to Titus in chapter 2. We we see that play out as well. So uh, this is just a great day to honor the Lord by honoring the gift of motherhood that he has given us uh, to the moms in our lives. So Uh, Moms, we say thank you. And uh, let's uh, pray and get ready to go to the Lord uh, and seek him in his word. And let's pray specifically for this morning that God will work in our hearts so that we may be convicted by what he has to say and also apply uh, what he has to say in his word. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church and the chance that we have to gather together and to be your church here in Graham, Washington. I pray for everyone in this room, whatever is going on in their lives, in their family, in their hearts, Lord. Even though I may not know it, we may not know it, you know it, Lord. And I pray that your word will just be a double-edged sword, as you promised, and cut to the heart of what is going on in people's lives, that they may recognize their need to sin, to repent of sin, uh, to walk by faith and dependence of you, Lord. I pray that all those things happen this morning. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So for me, when I go to the beach, like I had the chance to do after church last Sunday, my parents were here, and after dedicating Anna and worshiping with you all, we drove down to Cannon Beach for just a couple of days to escape and not do anything, think about anything, just enjoy the sunshine, enjoy the beach. But for me, when I go to the beach, the beach means one thing especially, which is reading. I love to read a book when I go to the beach. Do we have any other beach readers here this morning? I'm one of those guys. I love to go to the bookstore, find a good book to read, especially books that have nothing to do with theology or classwork or anything that is required to have a book report at the end, just reading something that is escapist, that is enjoyable, specifically history, stories of adventures, Lewis and Clark, explorers here in the Pacific Northwest. I enjoy reading those kind of books. And this past week, I had the chance to read this book that had been on my list for a while about this voyage in Antarctica called The Endurance. And it was this survival journey of these 30 men who were attempting to cross the Antarctic. Their ship got stuck in the ice. It sank. And for two years, they had to survive on the ice. They had to pitch camp and move their tent from one iceberg to the other because the ice would crack underneath of them. 
And they would have to get in rowboats that they salvaged from their ship and row across the Antarctic Sea, 800 miles just to get to an island where they could get help and rescue. It was an incredible story. And today, this happened in 1915. Even today, 100 years later, the reason why that story still matters is because in leadership conferences, in leadership books, people will still talk about the captain of that expedition. Captain Ernest Shackleton and his leadership ability, how was he able to manage to keep 30 men alive, literally living on floating ice and sailing across the sea in rowboats? How was he able to do that without a single loss of life? Throughout the book, he actually makes many mistakes. He struggles as a decision maker. He's not always right in everything that he always does, but specifically there is one aspect of his leadership that historians today still look at and talk about, which was his ability, no matter what had happened, to keep his team together. He had a knack, even through the harshest of circumstances, to create a sense of bond and unity and camaraderie amongst these men that was able to allow them to persist and endure the hardest of challenges. It's amazing even to look at the pictures that were taken during these two years of survival. You would think that they were on some kind of retreat. They're playing soccer and poker in their tents. They're laughing and singing. They're having what looks like a good time in one of the hardest, most difficult seasons any humans ever had to endure. And so his ability as a leader specifically to struggle and to endure and to fight to keep the group together is something that we still look at today. And the reason why I bring that up is because many of those same attributes we see in Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to turn with me to Colossians. We're going to see Paul, he's going to take a moment here in these two verses to talk about something that is going to have parallels to the way that Ernest Shackleton led his expedition even through all their trials. We are now officially in chapter 2 of Colossians, although Paul is still just continuing on with the same thread that he has been discussing the past few Sundays, sharing his personal biography, giving updates about his own personal ministry. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 He says this, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Notice how, again, Paul is shifting pronouns. I don't bring this up constantly just to sound like your middle school English teacher and to give you nightmares of of your English homework. Pronouns indicate what Paul is trying to communicate. Remember last week he was using the word we, referring to the call that we all have as believers to present each other mature in Christ. But again, here in this morning's message, in verse 1 of chapter 2, he changes the pronoun specifically to you 
referring to the Colossians that he's writing to. He wants them specifically to know something. And don't worry, this is all still leading up to our big idea. We haven't gotten to it yet, so you haven't missed anything in your notes. But he wants them specifically to know something. And this is what he wants them to know. Look at what it says in verse 1. Paul says, For I want you, Colossians, to know how great a struggle I have for you. Often when we think of that word struggle, we think of it negatively. We're talking about Mother's Day, and sometimes we hear mothers say that they struggle with us, or they struggle to deal with us, but this is not the same kind of struggle that is being talked about by Paul. It's not the kind of euphemism that we use to say, well, that person's struggling in his marriage, or this person is struggling at work, like another word for failure. When Paul uses the word struggle, saying that he's struggling for the Colossians, he's using the same word that he used in verse 29, by the way. And actually, he's using a word that we find used to describe even gladiator games that take place. These these two men who are struggling, who are exerting themselves, like that word toil that Paul also used in verse 29. Paul is working hard. He's enduring. There's an emphasis on the physical toll, the amount of work that is being put in, like we talked about last week, that Paul is doing for the sake of the Colossians. Just like Ernest Shackleton on that expedition, he was taking great pains and and he was uh, going through great effort for the sake of keeping his team united. Paul is saying specifically that he wants the Colossians to know that he also is struggling specifically for them. And there's something interesting here actually in this, uh, real quick before we get to our big idea, that he's not just saying this to the Colossians. He mentions another church in this verse. Notice he says that he's struggling not just for you being Colossians, but also for those at Laodicea. And all of this is going to bring us to our big idea for this morning, which is that we are called to endure in order to encourage others. That's going to be the point of what we see here this morning, that we are called to endure for the sake of encouraging others. And Paul is doing this not just for the Colossians, but also for this other church in a city called Laodicea. I'll give you a moment to finish writing that down. Paul calls us to endure for the sake of encouraging others. The reason Paul mentions Laodicea is because Yeah, I'm getting a blinking red now. Got some dead batteries. You can hear me now, but it's blinking. Can you all hear me? All right. Round of applause for Lad. Thank you, guys. Our team does such a good job. 
But Paul uh, was talking about his struggle, his, his fight to endure for uh, these Colossians, but he also is referring to the Laodiceans. The La- Laodicea was a city that was right next to Colossae in this valley. The other city on the other side of it, Hierapolis, is actually also going to be mentioned at the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And this is interesting because even though Paul is saying to the Colossians, I want you to know these things, he also wants the Laodiceans to know it as well. The point is that this letter that Paul wrote was not just intended to be only for the Colossians, but that the goal was for this letter to be shared with other churches. So the things that God is saying through Paul, it's not just intended for the Colossians, it's also intended for the Laodiceans, for the church at Hierapolis, for all the churches of the Roman Empire, and even the church in Graham, Washington. That God's word, even though it's written to local churches, has an extended effect that it also applies to all local churches. In fact, I didn't mention this in the first service, but a fun fact is that uh, the reason how we know whether or not a New Testament book is legitimate, number one, it has to be from an apostolic source. It has to come from a disciple or an apostle. That would be the 12 disciples or Paul uh, giving the authority to write or someone to write on their behalf. But the second reason is that we see early on in history that those letters were shared among the early churches. In Colossians was an example of that. They would receive a letter, and then they would send that letter or copies of that letter to the other churches and the other cities for them to read. God's Word was always intended to be shared amongst local congregations. And what Paul wants to share here is his struggle, the way that he is working and exerting himself for their sake, specifically what we see here at the beginning of verse 2. He says he's doing all of this so that at the beginning of verse 2, it says, so that their hearts may be encouraged. Notice again the pronoun. He starts out by saying, I want you to know that I'm struggling for all of you. But he says, I'm saying this so that there, he goes from the second person to the third person. That shows that what Paul's doing here, even though it's directed towards the Colossians, it extends to everyone, including the church at Graham who we have not seen Paul face to face. We would fit in this category. He says that I want them for their hearts to be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. We have one more picture here of Laodicea that you guys can see just to get a visual of this. But for the rest of our time this morning, what we're going to do for the rest of our notes is we're going to break down the three implications, the three ways in which we can actually endure for the sake of encouraging each other. The way that we can actually struggle for the sake of unity and for the sake of camaraderie as a church to bless those who are in our church family. These are the three ways that Paul gives to do that. The first point is that we are called uh, to endure to encourage each other by being united in love is our first point. That we should encourage others by being united in love. That's what Paul says here when he says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, being connected. The emphasis here 
is Paul is showing that there should be a physical connection between this community. There should be a physical gathering where people are present with each other. That word knit together is talking about physical connection. It's the same word that Paul uses to describe how there's different members under one body of Christ and how all the limbs and members are connected or knit together with each other. Going back to that book about the uh, endurance expedition, during the nights it would be so cold in Antarctica that these men, these tough, burly sailors, would huddle together in a circle and cuddle with each other, hold each other, so that they could share each other's collective body heat and survive the night. It's that kind of connection, that kind of being knit together as a church family that Paul is struggling for. He is working for the churches to be united. He doesn't just want the church to be a collection of individual Christians who happen to live in the same city. He wants them to be a community, a body, an ecclesia, of united believers that are knit together in love. How do we do that as a church? The best way that we can fulfill this by being knit together, by being physically present and connected with each other as a church, is by being physically present at church. Don't diminish the importance of being physically present during Sunday service. Things happen, there's sickness, there's travel, there's things that prevent that. But never think about your Sunday attendance in terms of how do I feel on Saturday. I know it's tempting, I've been there, I get it. Don't think of it from an individual perspective though. Don't always make your Sunday morning decisions based on, well, what's going on with us, what's going on with me, uh, what, what fits what we're doing this week. Think of it instead of, By you showing up on Sunday, you are acting as an agent of encouragement to your church family. You standing beside them, you singing alongside them, you fellowshipping with them, shaking hands with them, connecting with them, catching up with them, you are blessing your church by being physically present. And we miss out on that when you're not here. We have things like live stream, which are helpful tools for people who want to be physically present, but they can't for circumstances that are outside of their control. We're glad to provide that. We think that's an awesome thing we can provide. But that's not a valid alternative. That's not a valid option for people to choose to do based on whether or not they feel like it or they prefer it. I don't say this to beat us down or to make us all squirm in our seats. I truly understand there's times where I was not a pastor in just attending this church, uh, you know, this church being that church that I, I attended. I, I understand uh, that sometimes things happen in life. What I am calling us to, though, is to think about church attendance differently. Instead of just thinking about how it fits with us or our schedule, actually seeing it as a way to love and to honor and to build up and bless our church family. Think about those Sundays when everyone just happens to come on the same Sunday. You know what I'm talking about, like where it just kind of lines up, everyone was able to kind of make it on the same Sunday. Isn't that a fun Sunday when that happens? When we're just all together and we're connected and we're able to gather together 
that is a good, good time. And in the same way, isn't it discouraging sometimes when, when your friends aren't here at church or when you're missing out on people that you know are usually here but they can't make it for whatever reason? There's a blessing that we receive by having you present. And when Paul talks about the church being knit together in love, there's an emphasis on physical presence and connection alongside each other. So don't forsake that. Don't, don't think of church as just something that is just for you. You honor God and you bless your church family simply by showing up. As the greatest head coach of all times, Joe Gibbs of the Washington Redskins used to say, okay, maybe top five. He used to say that the greatest ability is availability. And the same is true of Christians in church. Being present, being available, that's something that we should endure and struggle for and fight for. But let's go on to our second point. When Paul talks about how he is struggling and enduring for the sake of encouraging his church family, people that he actually hasn't even seen, he's never met the Colossians, he says, number one, that this is done by being knit together physically in love, but he also talks about how people are united in truth. This is what he has to say continuing on in verse 2. He says, being knit together in love, but then he goes on to say, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. To reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. The emphasis here, many of your translations will say things like reach or to attain. Really the idea is that the truth that we are seeking is another thing that should connect or knit us just like love connects us. So when Paul says that you should be knit together in love, the next phrase is saying you should also be knit together as you seek truth together. That's an interesting way to think about studying God's word. Again, I think a lot of us, even though salvation is individual, that is true. Your parents can't be saved on your behalf. You can't become a member of a church and be saved just by becoming a member. Salvation is an individual decision you must make. But your call to be part of the church, your call to the Christian life, is a call of community. It's a call that we are called to do together as a functioning body. And that includes the way that we learn about God from his word. Again, I think we privatize that very often. I think we individualize learning about God's word. People will say, well, my preference is I like to learn about God's word this way. I like it when the pastor talks about these things, maybe the deep theology. And another person says, well, that stuff, that's not really for me. I like more of the history. I like it when he shows the pictures and he talks about the ancient cities. Maybe another person says, well, those things aren't for me. I prefer the spiritual application. I like it when he talks about how can I apply these things in my life. That's not the way that we should be thinking about teaching. Studying God's word, learning about God from his word, is not uh, something that we can prefer to do or not to do in our own specific way. It's something that God has called all Christians to do in his way, which is by looking at what he has to say about himself in his word and calling us to apply it together. That's one of the purposes of church, for us to gather together specifically so that we as a church family can learn about God together. And then, about, then when we learn about God together, we are encouraging each other in the faith. When we meet each other on a Tuesday or on a Thursday, 
when our kids have the same sports functions and we're uh, meeting together throughout the week, we can say, hey, remember what he said in that sermon on Sunday? Remember when the microphone went out, you know, and, uh, we, or he had that bad joke? Or uh, remember that point that he made about this a few weeks ago? Remember that thing that we learned at Bible study or at home group? You can encourage to challenge and equip each other and the way that we struggle and the way that we uh, pursue learning about God from his word. It's why every ministry of every local church must be a ministry of the word. It has to be. Every single function that a church does, whether it's children's ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, it all must be a ministry where people are gathering together specifically so that they can learn together about who God is and what he has done for us from his word. Be careful of the danger of the word fellowship. Fellowship is a good thing, camaraderie, coming together. That's what we just talked about in the first point. But don't let that word fellowship be used by any church as an excuse to not have the word of God be taught in any given ministry. It's not an either or, it's a both and. We are called to gather physically and be present and have fellowship with one another, but it should also be a fellowship that is specifically focused in us seeking God's truth in his word. So take advantage of those opportunities that we offer as a church for you to be connected with community here and to be learning more about the Lord through scripture. We encourage others by being united, not just in truth, but again, what Paul is saying here, in our pursuit of truth, in us seeking truth together. That should be something that molds us. You learning about God is not just an individual thing. It's something that we're called to do collectively together. And then finally, the third point is this. If we are to be united in truth, if we're supposed to be united in love, the third point would be that we are to encourage others by being united in Christ. And again, these points that I'm giving you, they're really just points that I'm trying to derive specifically from what Paul says, not an artificial thing that we're shoehorning onto the text, but just drawing out what Paul's trying to say, what he is saying, because he ends by this. He says, he wants your hearts to be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the assurance of understanding. And he ends by saying, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So just as people are encouraged by being united in love and by being united in truth, Paul finally says that they are to be united in having the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Remember that sermon that we had on mystery a few weeks back? Paul is using that word again. He used it at the end of chapter 1. Remember, mystery refers to God's plan of salvation that was progressively revealed throughout the Old and New Testament and that culminates in Christ and his church, both Jews and Gentiles, Colossians and Laodiceans, Asia and Europe, all nations coming together in Christ. Isn't it an amazing thing that even if Paul had nothing in common with the Colossians, 
even if he didn't share the same culture as them, maybe he didn't share the same preferences as them, the same history as them, maybe not even the same skin color as them, if he did not relate to them in those things, he could still call them brothers at the beginning of his letter because they were united in Christ. They all had a knowledge of God's Messiah, which is Jesus. Because Paul and the Colossians and the Laodiceans shared the same heavenly Father in Christ as the firstborn over all creation, we have a family connection together. That's what Paul's referring to when he talks about the knowledge of the mystery of God. Not just head knowledge, but referring specifically to that experiential knowledge that is used to describe the way a man relates to his wife. This kind of experience, having a relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ, that is what should unite us. We shouldn't just be a church that gathers because we happen to be people who are like-minded, who share the same basic family and political values living in the same area. It should be deeper than that. We should be a church that we are united because we all have recognized that we are sinners and we all recognize that Jesus has sent Christ as our Savior. And if that becomes our defining, uniting factor, that changes the way that we handle church conflict. It changes the way that we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ. It changes the way that we interact with each other because now our criteria for loving each other is not do they agree with me or are they pleasant to be with, but are they my family? Which if they are in Christ, the answer is yes. They are your family. Therefore, we should struggle for them and with them. We should endure because we also are in an Arctic expedition here on this earth, attempting to survive until we are rescued and brought to our eternal home. We are called to wait here, to struggle here, to survive here, to be obedient here on this earth, waiting our eternity. And the way that we are called to do that is by being united with each other, by being knit together with each other in love, in our pursuit of truth, and ultimately in Christ. Those are the kind of churches that God uses. Those are the kind of churches that God blesses. And it's a kind of church that this community needs. There are plenty of local churches of people who all share the same interests and the same demographic and the same cultural distinctives. We have enough of those. What the world needs is a true body of Christ united in love, in the pursuit of truth in his word, and in Christ alone. Let's be that kind of church, Grand Miami. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We love you for being our heavenly Father. We can call each other brothers and sisters because you call us sons and daughters because you have adopted us into your family. May we be like Paul and the Colossians and the Laodiceans. May we struggle for the sake of encouraging each other. May we struggle in the way that we choose to be physically present with each other at church. May we struggle in the way that we sharpen each other like iron in our pursuit of God's word together. And may we struggle for each other by being humble, and recognizing that our identities are now found in you and in your son, Jesus Christ, and to love each other like we want to love you. So we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
All right, thank you, church family. Have a great